The sermon text will be in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers, their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Father, we thank you for your uh, message of life and salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, bless the preaching of this word, that it might be true and clear, and that you would uh, give us hearts to receive it, that we might be blessed in the hearing and the believing and the practicing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, In John 11, we're picking up after the Feast of Dedication. That was in chapter 
10, the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, was in wintertime, was around December, what we would call December. And after that uh, occasion, where again it led to a dispute with the Jews in Jerusalem, and they wanted to kill him or wanted to arrest him, and so he went away, and he went back across the Jordan River to where John the Baptist had been baptizing across the Jordan, perhaps a little further north as well. What happens in chapter 11 here takes place between that December feast and Passover, which took place in the spring. So there's you know a few months here in between in which this happens. Perhaps it happened in February or something like that. When Jesus later came to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem for Passover, the raising of Lazarus was still fresh in people's minds. Uh, so it was, had not been very long at that time. Now this miracle, oh, it's a spoiler alert here, I mean Jesus himself says that he's coming to awake Lazarus. Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead uh, after he dies. And this is one of the signs that John records to build up faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. I will come to the miracle itself next Sunday evening, but in this portion of the chapter, in verses 1 through 27, we learn of Lazarus's illness and then his death. We see Jesus's decision to go to Judea and to awaken Lazarus. And then the conversation that Jesus has with Martha about resurrection and life. So first, let's look at the first five verses the introduction of the dilemma that Lazarus was ill. In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus, and he had two sisters that are mentioned. Do you remember their names? Mary and Martha. Bethany was a little less than two miles away from Jerusalem, about 1.7 miles, um, and it was on the other side of the Mount of Olives. In Jerusalem, there was a hill outside the city, which was the Mount of Olives. And if you went over that ridge and went on to the other side, you would get to the town of Bethany. And in that village is where Lazarus and his sisters lived. And they already knew Jesus. And Jesus loved them, we'll find. Uh, they had no doubt listened to Jesus's teaching. Even though there was a lot of hostility in Jerusalem towards Jesus among some circles, Jesus still had a remnant, had some people who believed in him and who followed him, uh, such as these three. Now Mary is identified as the one who anointed the Lord with ointment. This is something that's actually described in the next chapter. You notice we haven't come across this already in the gospel. Uh, hasn't been described yet. We're going to get to it in chapter 12. Um, and it's going to be Mary who does that. It was probably familiar already to the readers of this gospel, um, at least by the fact that John mentions it like something that people were familiar with, even though he hasn't mentioned it already. Uh, perhaps they knew it simply from the oral preaching and teaching of these things, uh, or perhaps they were already familiar with one of the gospels that had been written. But in any case, he's identifying it, that Lazarus is the brother of that Mary and her sister Martha. Now, Jesus loved them. See the references to the love of Jesus in verses 3 and 5. Um, 
Now, this is from the pen of the Apostle John, who would refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. When John calls himself that, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved, he's not saying that Jesus didn't love anyone else, but he's writing it from a personal perspective. He's saying, Jesus loved me. But here he's also, that Lazarus can also be called he whom you love, uh, he whom Jesus loved. And in fact, it goes on to say that Jesus loved all three of them, that he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, uh, that Jesus loves his disciples. In fact, later he'll say, greater love is no man than this, that he layeth down his life for a friend, that he does that for his disciples. He loves them. And we find that demonstrated here with a few disciples in particular. Lazarus is described in the message they sent as he whom you love. And then John reminds us, which is important to remember, because the way he acts at first might make us see, it might make it seem that he didn't love them very much. He delays. He doesn't run to get to Lazarus as fast as he can. But we'll find that he does love them dearly. And he had particular reasons for doing what he did. So what he did wasn't because he didn't love them. He loved them very much. Uh, Interestingly, if anyone's counting, both Greek words phileo and agape are used in this passage. John likes to go back and forth between them. He whom you love in verse 3 is phileo, and that he loved all three of them, Martha, her sister, and Lazarus is agape. Uh, But he, he loved them. Jesus loves his disciples. Jesus loves his sheep. If he's, we think of him as the good shepherd, he loves his sheep. He doesn't flee from them like the hired hand. He loves you. He loves you despite your sins. You who believe in him. He loves you and therefore laid down his life for you. He actually loves you before you believe in him. And that's why he goes out and gathers the sheep by his call that they might follow him and have life. This is a source of confidence and security for those who believe in him, that Jesus loves me. You can follow him knowing that he loves you. And this is a way in which you appeal to him in prayer. He whom you love is in danger. He whom you love or she whom you love is in need of your help. That's me. And Jesus would also have you to love his sheep as well, to love one another, even as he has loved you. Now, Jesus said that this illness was not unto death. Death was not its end, its purpose, its final destination. The purpose for this illness was the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Uh, through it. Lazarus, in fact, would die, but it wouldn't stop there. In fact, he would be raised, and Jesus would be glorified, and the faith of many would be built up. They would have this sign and be taught, therefore, to believe in the Son of God, believe in Jesus. It would also serve the glory of the Son of God because it would serve to provoke the Sanhedrin, the council, to make plans for the death of Christ. We'll find that at the end of this chapter. The cross and the resurrection and the ascension would be the glorification of the Son of God. And by raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, he would be one step closer to this great act of glory. 
Lazarus and his sister didn't know that. Jesus hadn't told them ahead of time what was going on. As Lazarus lay on his bed, ill and sick, he didn't know Jesus' purposes or God's purposes, unless that message perhaps that Jesus had given was relayed back to him, if there was time for that, seems like there might not have been. And yet, God had his purposes, that it would be to the glory of God, the good of his people. And that is the way it works. We had already seen in the chapter previous, why was this man born in this way, uh, with this disability? Is it because of his sins or his parents' sins? Jesus said it's for the glory of God. God has his purposes, which are worked out over time, over history, unto the glory of God, to the good of his people. But now in verses 6 through 16, we find that after waiting two days, Jesus decides to go to Judea again. That he decides to return to that land. Bethany and Jerusalem are both in Judea, in that region in the south of the land of Israel. And in fact, it's because he loved them that he delayed two days before he left. Seems to be the way it's put here. Now, Jesus's delay did not cause him to miss the death. If he had returned when he got the message, it seems like he still would have missed the death of Lazarus. He waited two days, and when he arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. So even if he had left immediately, he still would have died, but he just wouldn't have been in the tomb as long. What his delay did was to ensure that he arrived after it had been, after it was very clear that Lazarus was dead, and that he was even seeing corruption which would make the miracle more powerful and instructive. Lazarus would be in the tomb longer than Jesus would be in the tomb, just as we will likely be in the tomb much longer than Jesus was in the tomb. And yet Jesus will raise him from the dead. Now Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan, like I said, probably further north. Uh, One commentator argues that it was about four days away uh, where he was. And he had left Judea, why had he left? To, to get away from the people who were trying to arrest and kill him. And the disciples knew this. They said, these guys were just trying to stone you. Are you going back down there? This does not sound like a wise decision. They feared to return. This place was very close to Jerusalem itself. In fact, when they get there, they find that all these Jews from Jerusalem had come out to console Mary and Martha for the death of their brothers. So there were people from Jerusalem there. In fact, we'll find later some of them went with the news of this to the council itself. But Jesus pressed on with his work. He knew that he was safe until the hour of darkness came. Aren't there 12 hours in the day? It was especially true then. They divided the day into 12 hours, no matter how long the day was. You would just always have it divided up into 12 equal portions. So he's talking about, you know, there's the time where it's light. And when it's light, you don't trip. Because you can see the, the light of this world, the sun, is there, and you're, you're safe. You're not tripping. But once it gets dark, that's when you trip. Uh, it seems to be that it at least means that until the hour of darkness came, until the time for his crucifixion came, that uh, he would work and would be safe. That it was a time for him to do this work without fear, knowing that his times were in God's hands. Of course, it also gives us insight into his own statement that he was the light of the world. That he's like the sun. 
That's, that same phrase here is used uh, for the sun, that Jesus is like the sun, that he gives light, spiritual light to the world, that all who follow him have the light of life, that we will not stumble and fall if we be with Jesus Christ. Now, the disciples end up going with them, and we have the remark of Thomas, which might have either provoked them to follow Jesus or expressed their own thoughts. Uh, he was rather grim. He rather expected this to go poorly, that, that Jesus would die, and he is ready to follow Jesus, even if it means certain death. Let's go with Jesus, that we might die with him. Uh, it's, it's a rather pessimistic, but still rather courageous, almost like a a puddle glum type of character. It's, maybe that's going beyond the text, but that type of always thinking the worst is going to happen, and so you're just ready to meet it because <laughs> you already expected it's going to happen. Um, maybe it's almost a sarcastic remark. It's hard to tell exactly. But the important part is that Thomas was willing to follow Jesus, and we ought to follow Jesus as well through thick and thin, through our fears, through our anxieties about what might happen. That Thomas was willing to go and to follow him. Now, finally, in verses 17 through 27, we come to probably the, the climax of this passage, the one that we read. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. You can picture probably a lot of people in the house, a lot of guests. Perhaps Martha had been cooking for them uh, and preparing for them. They had been trying to console her, but she steps out now to greet Jesus so she can talk to him apart from all these other people. And she expresses a general faith in Jesus. She thinks that if he had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Of course, Jesus could have spoken the word even at a distance, but uh, she's thinking about the fact that Jesus could have prevented his death, um, but that even now, whatever he asks of God, God will give it. She might not exactly know what that would look like, but she has this general reliance upon Jesus' power. But Jesus builds her up as he leads her one statement, one question at a time. He says that Lazarus will rise again. And this provokes a response that, yes, she affirms, she believes the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. We believe that, we confess that in the creed, right? Can you think of a reference to the resurrection of the dead in the creed? Catherine, can you think of that? Do we talk about the resurrection? The resurrection in the creed that, that on the last day that there will be a resurrection of the dead? And she says, yes, I believe that. Lazarus will rise. This was something that the Jews had understood from the Old Testament, at least the Pharisees, not so much the Sadducees, but many of the Jews. The books that were written in between the Testaments would testify to this belief that they understood this doctrine from what God had spoken of in Scripture, that God would swallow up death, that he would overcome death, that death had come upon mankind because man sinned. And so as God redeemed men, that this would be reversed. And so she professes this truth that she did understand, that she did believe. Yes, I know he will rise on the last day. Notice, or note as well, that rise again and resurrection that are used in these verses are the noun and verb form, or verb and noun form of the same word. You know, to rise again, and then the, the rising again, uh, the resurrection. That he will rise again, and there will be a resurrection. Jesus had spoken of 
resurrection in chapter 5, which we read earlier. He spoke of a time in the present where the dead, the spiritually dead, would hear his voice and live and respond to the word with faith. We call that regeneration. You could call it the first resurrection, a spiritual resurrection. But then he also spoke of a time yet to come when those who are in their tombs, those who are literally or physically dead, will hear his voice and come out. Some to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus had already spoken of this. In fact, in chapter 6, he also spoke of the bread of life, giving eternal life, something that's even received during this time, but also of raising him up on the last day. He says that like three or four times in that chapter, that the one who comes to Jesus, who has been given to him by his father, he will preserve that person and raise him up on the last day. So in Jesus' reply, he affirms certainly what, what Martha had said, but he goes beyond that. Not only will there be a resurrection of the dead, but that Jesus will raise the dead. And Jesus even gives life in this, in this life, and he will be the one who raises those who believe in him uh, unto life on the last day. It's going to be centered on Jesus. This is what, how Jesus replies then. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. He directs Martha to the source of that doctrine, the source of that event. It is in Jesus himself who is standing there in front of her. He is the source of the resurrection. He is life itself. We are united to him and therefore we live. He goes on to say that whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. So yes, those who believe in him die in a sense. They are still those who will physically die and rest in the tomb. But they will live. That he will raise those who believe in him. No, this is not everyone. He will raise everyone out of their tombs. But those who believe in him will be raised up to life. Will be resurrected to, eat, to glory, incorruptibility, immortality. That he will give it to those who believe in him. And he will give it to those who believe in him. He is both the qualification, the, the way that one participates in the resurrection. And he is the one who does it. He has that power. It has been committed to him by the Father. His voice will be the one to raise us. And then he goes on to say, everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. So there are those who even now are living and believing. In this sense, it's those who have received eternal life in this life, who have been born again, who have heard the voice of Jesus in the gospel, and have believed. Those who believe in Jesus have passed from death into life, that they are no longer alienated from God, cut off, bearing bad fruit, doomed to death, but rather they have been justified. They have been sanctified or being sanctified. They now are united to, to God and uh, are no longer cut off from him. And though they die, yet they will be with him and continue to live. And this eternal life will never be destroyed. It is their possession forever. And in that sense, they shall never perish. 
but have everlasting life. And so both with respect to, to spiritual life and to a physical resurrection, they are contingent on uh, belief in Jesus, and Jesus is the one who gives it. He is the bread of life, and he is the one who gives the bread of life. Uh, he is the one who is the living one, who has risen from the dead, who has the keys of death and Hades. Uh, he is the one who gives life to those dead and sins and trespasses now. And those who live in that way are not subject to the second death, to the death in hell, to the resurrection of judgment, but rather those who participate in the resurrection of life on the last day. So do you understand that? There's two ways in which we come to life. We come to life when we believe in Jesus. In fact, we believe in Jesus because we have passed from death into life. And we embrace that life. And we begin to live with him now. And that never ends. And we also come to life on that last day after we have died, when God calls us, when Jesus calls us, and our bodies are restored and glorified and perfected, and, and we live with him body and soul, perfect and holy with God forever. Now Jesus speaks this doctrine, but then he makes it personal. Do you believe this? Second person singular, do you? Martha, believe this. Does she believe that Jesus is the source of resurrection and life? Does she believe that that person standing right in front of her is the one who will raise up the the people of God on the last day and give them life and immortality and glory? Does she believe that he is the one who brings those who are dead in sins to life? Does any prophet or teacher in the Old Testament claim such great powers and their own authority? I am the resurrection and the life. No, only the, the promised one, only the Christ, only the Son of God would claim these things. Do you believe this? This is the question that Jesus would ask you. You hear these things? Do you believe this? Now, Martha makes a great confession of her faith, very similar to the Apostle Peter, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Again, he spoke in that case of what do people say generally? But he also said, what do you say? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Martha here says, yes, Lord. So she affirms what Jesus has said. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. The last phrase is a little tricky to translate. could be who comes into the world, the one who has been prophesied to come into the world, who has come into the world, who is coming into the world but the promised one, uh, one who would come to save us, the Christ, the Son of God. Now, this would have gotten her cast out of the synagogue in Jerusalem. Remember, they had agreed, if anyone says Jesus is the Christ, we're going to kick them out. But she believed this, and she told Jesus this as well. She knew, she believed that he was the Christ. Now, she might not yet, doesn't seem like she grasped the implications for what this might mean for her brother Lazarus. When Jesus comes to raise her from the dead, she still doesn't completely understand what he is able and about to do. But she believed in the resurrection of the dead, and she also believed that Jesus was the life, the resurrection, the one who would raise the dead. Later next week, we're going to see how Jesus demonstrates this power, 
demonstrates this office of his by raising Lazarus from the tomb in front of them all, calling them, calling him by his word. But we can use this passage, even these verses, for our knowledge of Christ, to know him better. Why did he come into the world? To give us life, both now and later, that we might secure it in this life before we die, that we might enjoy it forever, that we might believe these things and be challenged to believe these things personally like Martha did, that we might have comfort. You have comfort in this, that you need not fear death as something that will rob you, but rather as something that Jesus overcomes, overcomes completely and in every way. To have hope, a confident expectation in Christ of this victory over death. Uh, To live and not die, and though we die, yet to live. This is the hope that we ought to share with others, with the lost. You think people fear death? Death is uh, something that comes to everyone. It's a problem everybody has. And we must understand why death comes. Uh, But it is the gospel that gives us the hope of life, of overcoming our alienation from God, the judgment of God that hangs over us in this life, that we might truly live and have eternal life, to live even after death, and to have the hope of overcoming it to incorruptible glory. How does it come? It comes through believing in Jesus. So, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Believe in him, that you might have a share in it. You might participate in this resurrection and this life, that it does not pass you by. Uh, This is the gift of God that he has sent of love, out of his love, into the world, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love and the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us sinners who, uh, who have earned by our deeds this death which you deliver us from. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and our hope, that we might press on through trials, through illness, even through death itself when it comes, that we would be prepared by the gospel, that we would live even now, truly live to share this life that comes from you that you have deposited in your son for us. We pray that you would also raise us up on that last day in accord with your promises. We pray that you would bring the lost into a participation through faith in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.